0: This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts.
1: Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future.
2: Hi, I'm Richie. I'm a photographer in Hawaii and a member of the Carbon Almanac Network. I'm so excited to share this episode simply because it's changed me. In this interview, economist Bruno Roche talks about the economics of mutuality, a concept that goes beyond what we know as stakeholder capitalism. Imagine a world where the purpose of business is not to maximize profit, but to maximize the value it creates for all. Imagine businesses creating scalable and profitable solutions to problems of people and planet versus profiting from the problems of people and planet. Now, I'm a creative and I don't work in finance, but the big, bold ideas presented here are understandable and can address the systemic changes we must see soon. I've been ruminating on what systemic change can look like, especially in regards to businesses. Hearing Bruno Roche talk about this paradigm shift gives me real hope for a better world.
3: Hi, I'm Lindsay Hall, Head of Thought Leadership at S&P Global Sustainable One.
0: And I'm Esther Wielden, a Senior Writer on the Sustainable
3: One Thought Leadership Team. Welcome to ESG Insider, a podcast hosted by S&P Global, where we explore environmental, social, and governance issues that are shaping investor activity and company strategy.
0: We're only a couple of weeks away from Davos, the annual meeting hosted by the World Economic Forum that brings together global leaders from government, business, and academia in Switzerland. The meeting normally takes place in winter, but thanks to COVID this year in 2022, it was bumped to the end of May. If you paid attention to the last iteration of Davos, which by the way was all virtual, you know that stakeholder capitalism was a big focus at the meeting. In brief, stakeholder capitalism is the idea that companies are not just responsible to their shareholders, but rather to a broader range of stakeholders, including their customers, employees, suppliers, and communities, as well as shareholders. The idea really picked up steam in the U.S. in 2019 when the U.S. Business Roundtable issued a statement suggesting that companies should focus on benefits to all stakeholders, rather than primarily on deriving profits for shareholders. Well, today we're talking to an economist who
3: says the business world needs to do a total rethink of its approach to accounting and corporate performance measurement. Our guest today is Bruno Roche. Bruno spent many years as chief economist at Mars Incorporated, the multinational manufacturer of confectionery, pet food, and other food products like Mars Bars, for example. And in 2020, he left Mars to found the Economics of Mutuality platform. In this new organization, as we'll hear today, what Bruno is proposing is a new approach to accounting that in some ways has a lot in common with the concept of stakeholder capitalism, basically a real rethink of a company's purpose.
4: The economics of mutuality uh, work started actually about 15 years ago in 2006. Uh, And at the time, I was just uh, being my job for a few months. And uh, I was involved in a conversation uh, that took place between uh, uh, the management of Mars, and also uh, one of the shareholders who happened to be also the chairman of the board of the company at the time. And the question that came from the board was uh, quite an unusual question. And the question was, what should be the right level of profit? For a company like, like Mars. And the question was not asked in the context of should we do more or should we do less profit? But is there a kind of optimum profit level that, that would help the company thrive and survive and 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 prosper? And to what extent the to what extent this level of profit would eventually be impacted by Uh, the stakeholders that are actually operating in the ecosystem in which we operate. And to my surprise, this question has never been studied in in economics and management. It was almost a blind spot in the uh, uh, academic literature, in the practice. But we took this question quite seriously and uh, we decided that uh, that question needed a more uh, sophisticated answer than just a benchmarking exercise. And so we embarked on, uh, on a series of hypotheses uh, to help answer that question. And eventually, this, uh, this journey, which started very modestly uh, in 2006, ended up in a relatively complex program, which involved uh, academic research, teaching of MBA modules, uh, testing in a different environment. And we called it actually the economics of mutuality, in reference to the point that economics is in uh, essentially a science that is uh all about management of scarcities and mutuality is uh, the description of the type of relationship that stakeholders can have in a given ecosystem and when i share this story i try to be very simple to say economics is all about management of scarcities right and uh, 50 years ago financial capital was scarce but natural resources were overly abundant today it's just the opposite financial capital is overly abundant and natural resources are scarce. Yet, our economic model has not changed. So there is something wrong. So our uh, our argument is that the economic model will, over time, adjust to address the new form of scarcity that we are dealing with. And that's what economics is all about. And mutuality is to say, well, at the moment, financial capitalism relies primarily on power relationship. That's why size matters so much in modern capitalism, that the bigger you are, the more value you can extract from the value chain in which you are uh, operating. But our hypothesis to say, well, if we adopt not a power relationship, but a mutual relationship with our stakeholders, what type of economic performance would we achieve? And we tested this simple uh, concept that's, business needs money, of course, to operate, but money needs also natural capital and people capital. And instead of just applying a power relationship, what if we just try to implement mutual relationship with key stakeholders? And after 15 years of in-depth research, uh, primarily with Oxford University, but also uh, in-depth practice, uh, starting with Mars uh, business units, but also uh, uh, other large companies, we came up to the conclusion that this model is actually superior uh, in terms of value creation, not only for uh, the environment, society, but also for for the business and the shareholders. And that's what economics of mutuality is all about. And a couple of years ago, or three years ago now, uh, together with Mars, we decided to turn this economics of mutuality ID from just a think tank program within the company into a public interest foundation that we incorporated here in Geneva. That's economics of maturity, and the mutual value initiative, the mutual value framework, is a byproduct of the economics of maturity, and it, it it is a methodology that helps companies not only to comply with the upcoming regulation, accounting regulation that's coming very soon, actually, Uh, in Europe. It's going to be 2024, and the rest of the world will follow quickly. So it's a a methodology that can help any business, not only to comply with upcoming regulation, but to thrive or to even prosper and to revisit their value creation model to adjust to these new norms, but also to take this opportunity of the new norms to create a more sustainable and more uh, responsible and also more effective value creation model.
3: So what you're describing, as you noted, it marks a sort of departure or a change from the historical traditional approach to financial capitalism. And I wonder what kind of feedback did you get when you raised this idea and has the response to this idea of the economics of mutuality or the mutual value framework, has that changed and evolved over time with the rise of sustainability focused investing?
4: Um, There is a quote which I like to say, it's it's a quote written by a German philosopher called Arthur Schopenhauer, and he said that every truth goes through four stages. The first one, it it is ignored. The second one, it is ridiculed. The third one is that it is violently opposed. And the fourth one is that it is accepted as self-evident. And in a sense, over the last 15 years, we went through a similar journey from being ignored, being ridiculed, being opposed, and gradually being uh, accepted as self-evident. But to go back to your uh, question, uh, the concept of mutual value creation is not limited to sustainability. Sustainability is, um, is, uh, is a realization from the business that they are, are creating ex- negative externalities. That actually is detrimental to their reputation and to their uh, to their uh, capacity also to uh, to attract talents, etc and that's good, but it's not about changing the core of the way business is being done. What we are proposing with uh, uh, economics of mutuality and mutual value creation is to say that the sharing of benefits when it is embedded into the value creation yields a superior outcome so the traditional way is is that i do business one way and eventually i share the uh, benefits another way so i create value first and i share the value uh, in in a second time what we are proposing with economics and mutuality is to say that no no the sharing of benefit has to be embedded into the value creation equation and when we do this when we embed this, uh, this, the sharing of benefit in the business model itself, which actually requires a transformation in the way we, we generate value and measure value, then when we do this, and we do this uh, intentionally, then the, the performance, the holistic performance of the business is superior, not only in terms of impact, but also in terms of financial performance. So we are moving into that space, and I'm glad, actually, that the regulation now coming from the EU with EFRAG and also coming from Global Standards with ISSB, actually going to create an environment that is conducive for companies to focus on their non-financial reporting. And the simple fact of providing a coherent and simple framework regarding the non-financial performance is the fact going to create an environment conducive for, in our view, we create an incentive for business people to reconsider the way they uh, create value. And we think actually that the mutual value creation that we propose can help them achieve this objective of being both more performant in terms of financial performance, but also more impactful in terms of social and environmental impact.
3: Now, you mentioned EFRAG, which is the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group for any listeners who aren't familiar. Um, And then also the ISSB, and it's been about six months since we saw this big development in the um, ESG standards world, which was, the, of course, the launch of the new International Sustainability Standards Board during COP26. We've talked quite a bit about the ISSB on this podcast. And as you know, the, the group's goal is to develop a comprehensive global baseline of high-quality sustainability disclosure standards to meet investors' information needs. So in light of this development... I'd like to get your response, or can you say a little bit more about why you see this as a, as a positive step in the current sustainability landscape?
4: Today, the ESG space is, uh, is very crowded, okay? And it's so crowded that it is at best confusing and at worst misleading. Uh, the last time we counted the number of uh, ESG framework that exists, it was more than 400. And there is actually a saying that uh, that if you want to improve uh, your uh, ESG uh, score, you can change uh, ESG provider. So it's real, actually, um, dysfunctional space at the moment. And uh, that dysfunction has been described uh, in, in different ways. And probably the most, uh, the most uh, credible source that I know is the work that MIT has undertaken under a program called Aggregate Confusion, which showed actually that there is a correlation of 0.6 only between all the main ESG reporting framework. It showed actually that there is no real, uh, no real consistency across different ESG frameworks. And that's actually a problem because uh, it, is, uh, it is an open door to greenwashing, social washing, and, uh, and eventually it's not good for, to bring transparency and credibility into that space. The good news is that because of the regulation taking place at the EFRAG, and you, you mentioned what it is, it is the EU taxonomy effort, but also at the ISSB, which is a branch of the IFRS, focusing on non-financial reporting standards, the good news is that over the next few years, we are going to move from 400 plus type of framework into maybe four, five, even less. Okay, So that is a real uh, step forward, which actually will bring transparency into the system and will also help uh, understand and compare the real impact of, of business and investments across a number of agreed parameters. So that's, in my view, the greatest benefit of the work that's taking place between the different initiatives.
3: So as we near Davos, I asked Bruno, how does the concept of stakeholder capitalism relate to this idea of mutual value creation?
4: The mutual value creation actually is uh, a form of stakeholder capitalism, and uh, but we 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 started this journey way before uh, that uh, term was uh, was coined by Klaus Schwab, which actually is a good thing because when I when I heard uh, Klaus uh, talking about it and actually uh, he kindly sent me his uh, his book, so I had a chance to read it probably before anybody else. I was very happy to understand that we are gradually moving from a shareholder capitalism, which eventually was a norm uh, under the uh, Chicago school of thought, uh, we are moving into a stakeholder capitalism. Uh, What stakeholder capitalism does not uh, develop, or doesn't say, is the the type of relationship that we want to have across stakeholders and what eventually makes stakeholders uh, work together and this is what the economics of Mutuality proposes. So we propose that the purpose of business is no longer about maximizing profit, but the purpose of business is about creating scalable and profitable solutions to the problems of people and planet, not profiting from creating problems to people and planet. And that definition of purpose, which is uh, which requires a company to decenter itself, so the purpose is, in that definition is no longer, the company is no longer at the center of its ecosystem. It is a purpose. And that this centering is, is critically important because all of a sudden, the purpose is about solving a systemic problem for other people, right? Purpose is about solving a problem for other people. And you want to do it profitably at scale, but it changes the definition of purpose. And our um, research showed that When you define your purpose this way, it also very quickly defines the stakeholders that are material to the purpose. So it is within the context of purpose that stakeholders capitalism can take place. The second element is that we're proposing to shift from power relationship, which is all about extracting value, to mutual relationship, which is about creating mutual value for all stakeholders so these two elements of purpose as a way to organize the ecosystem in which stakeholders operate and the notion of shifting from power relationship to mutual relationship is what we are adding in a sense to the notion of stakeholder capitalism and the third element of my response is that we have now dozens of examples that show that this is a superior form of value creation. So yes, stakeholder capitalism, but based on purpose and mutuality is really the new frontier for value creation.
3: So I, I had some trouble wrapping my head around this idea of purpose until you gave me some really compelling examples. And I wonder if you could share those examples with our, our listeners to help them also understand this idea of purpose.
4: Yeah I'm going to take the example of a of a pharmaceutical company uh, that is in the business of producing insulin to fight diabetes and that company uh, a few years ago uh, thought about what is the purpose of my business and uh, they could have said okay we are making insulin right and insulin is a, is an important is an important uh, treatment for for diabetes and they could have stayed there right so our purpose is to create uh, is, to, is to produce more insulin, so that more diabetic would have access to um, more insulin, maybe at a cheaper price or with more availability. But instead of that, they decided to say, no, no, we are in the business of uh, eradicating diabetes. And it is an interesting case study uh, is that eventually by choosing this purpose, they chose a purpose which eventually meant the end of their business model of today. And if you are in the business of uh, eradicating diabetes, it's not only about selling more insulin. It's about treating a number of uh, important uh, other elements like access to water, access to food. It's about also uh, sports, exercise, etc. So there is a number of uh, a great, greater number of uh, stakeholders that are suddenly material to the purpose of eradicating diabetes. And the case study that we have written, which is based on 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 a series of interviews and understanding of the diabetes model, shows actually that. The simple fact of choosing this purpose, which is all about solving a systemic problem in the ecosystem which, which you operate, instead of just focusing on your own activity, opened up the a new strategy for innovation and also for organizing and orchestrating an ecosystem of stakeholders uh, that eventually created a very strong and resilient uh, business model that eventually translated into um, higher and uh, and also sustainable financial performance. That, that's an example of a purpose, right? It's about defining a problem, a specific problem in the ecosystem in which you operate and finding ways, finding commercial and business ways to solve this problem profitably and at scale. That's an example. The second one that we talked about is a, is a pet food company that also works in, in the business of selling uh, high-quality pet food to cats and dogs. And uh, their vision that through this healthy food, they would eventually uh, serve a higher need of cat and dog's health. And as they were on this uh, concept, they eventually moved from seeing themselves as a maker of highly nutritious food to a situation where they saw themselves as a health company, that's a company that provides health. But if you are in the business of, of health, food is only, again, one way of contributing to the health of the cats and dogs. But then you have, if you're in the health business, you have to deal with veterinarians, uh, breeders, uh, pet shops, uh, pet services. So there is a whole network of stakeholders that are becoming all of a sudden material to this new notion of purpose. And actually, they gradually, as they were uh, uh, developing this business model, they moved uh, into uh, truly stakeholder capitalism which is all about orchestrating stakeholders that are all material to the same purpose so it's no longer about extracting value right and using your using your power to extract value but it's more about understanding the needs that exist across different stakeholders uh, in relation to one purpose and smartly organizing this ecosystem of players
3: you know, I think a lot of people might come at this idea as something kind of revolutionary or or very different from what they think of when they think of a company.
4: Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, sometimes we we think that we are uh, we are creating new things and we are uh, we are innovative, but eventually we are not. I mean, uh, as I was doing my research on this topic, um, my co-author Colin Mayer, who is a professor at Oxford University, shared with me this nice anecdote that the word "company" comes from two Latin words which are uh, cum and then panis, P-A-N-I-S. And uh, it literally means the sharing of the bread. So company is about sharing bread. And the sharing of the bread, as you probably know, is is a symbol of fellowship among human beings. You share bread with your companion. You share bread with your friend. You share bread with, uh, with, with the people who are at your table. Right. So when you run a company, literally speaking, it means that you are managing fellowship. So managing companies is not about maximizing profit. Profit is just the outcome, but you are running a company. You're effectively uh, managing an organization that's all about nurturing fellowship. It's all about sharing the bread.
3: I'd like to end our interview on a bit of a forward-looking note. Are companies and investors ready for your ideas?
4: I think there is a time for everything. The environment in which we are operating as business investors is shifting and is shifting for good. Our argument is that we are entering a period of systemic crisis. So the the crisis will be the norm and no longer the exception. And it's not the first time, actually, that business is facing this kind of situation. Business existed before capitalism and will exist after capitalism, if capitalism does not reform itself. So our argument is that um, the pursuit of profits for shareholders is a a system that worked, right? But it's no longer the system that business and investment will will need to adopt in order for their business to prosper and thrive and survive. And uh, so the sooner business investors adopt this kind of uh, what we call mutual value creation, which is all about taking into account the needs, but also the resources that exist in your ecosystem and remunerating these needs and ecosystem in a way that is fair and mutual, the, the better it is for your business, but also for the environment at large. And we don't have much time. So I'm glad there is... Yeah, there is a concerted effort, if you like, from the academic world. The academic world is really changing at the moment. And you can see, actually, there is a realization that teaching of business leaders is changing. And that's good, because uh, without knowledge, people perish. And we need uh, the an acceleration of the change in management education. We also need a change in the way business are led. And we hope, actually, that this mutual value that we are proposing is Is going to be a a source of inspiration for more business leaders. It's also about investment, and we know actually that investors are moving fast. And also, there is this change in regulation. So we are this. The world is changing. There is. We are talking about systemic change, and in a sense, we need to respond to this systemic change with systemic response. And the systemic response will rely on education from uh, business schools, also. It will rely on business leaders to adopt new ways of value creation. It will require investment world to change and allocate capital where it matters. And it will require um, policymakers to adjust the um, standard settings. But I can see actually this uh, there is a lot of activities behind each of these pillars, education, business, investment, and policymaking. So I think in a sense, the trainers will let the station. And it's no longer an optional alternative. business who do not embark on this new concept of value will not prosper and will not succeed.
3: Bruno, anything that we haven't talked about today that you, you think is important for our listeners to understand or that you wanted to touch on?
4: Um, I think because you are talking a lot uh, to finance people, uh, I'd like to yeah, to say a word of encouragement, but also provocation. Uh, it is widely accepted that some of the problem we're facing is coming from finance. And therefore, my argument is that the solution must come from finance. CFOs and finance people have incredibly important role to play in in, in shifting from a model that profits from creating problem to a model that profits from creating solutions. This is something that actually is the the, the, duty, but also the opportunity for uh, finance people. And I hope actually that this uh, explanation or this presentation of what we talked about, mutual creation will be an inspiration for CFO and finance people to shift from profiting from creating problems to profiting from creating solutions.
3: So Esther, as you can hear, Bruno is advocating for a fundamental reshaping of the way companies approach accounting. And he says rapid change is on the horizon for the world of ESG reporting. Within a few years, he expects companies will have to develop a framework to translate their purpose, the metrics associated with that purpose, and the impacts into ESG measures so that investors have a guide to help them make better informed decisions on the companies
0: they're investing in. If you'd like to hear more about the topics we discussed in today's episode, please stay tuned for our upcoming series where we take the ESG Insider podcast on the road. Route May, will bring you interviews and key highlights from the S&P Global Sustainable One Summit. The summit will be held in Paris on May 10th, in New York on May 17th and in Sydney on June 9th. We'll include a link in our show notes in case you want to sign up to attend any of those events in person. We'll be digging into topics like net zero and nature positive, advancing social equity, and measuring progress. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of ESG Insider,
3: and a special thanks to our producer, Kyle Cangelosi. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and sign up for our weekly newsletter, ESG Insider. See you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection, a rebroadcast of the ESG Insider S&P Global Podcast. We'd like to thank Lindsay Hall and Esther Wielden of ESG Insider for letting us share this episode with you. Today's episode was produced by Aruka Brown, alongside Kaylee Carter and Judy Perella. Special thanks to Richie Biluan. For introducing us to this episode. Our editor is Tanya Marion, and our executive producer is Jennifer myers schwa To listen to other shows in the network, like Generation Carbon, our show for kids ages six through ten, visit thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts.